Hello, and welcome to Carried Away. I'm your host, Carrie Murray. As the founder of the Bra Network, the Business Relationship Alliance, I have met some of the most inspiring women working as entrepreneurs, freelancers, founders, executives, and creatives, and I want to share their stories with you. So let's get carried away. Did you know that the language that you use around your strategy and sales actually influences whether someone wants to purchase from you or not? fascinating, right? Today, I am joined with Renee Dallow. She is a podcast host, wedding planner, and coach for creatives. We are going to dive into the power of language and how it can transform your business. She's got so many wonderful nuggets of knowledge. I can't wait for you to tune in. Let's get carried away. So glad you're here. Um, I really want to start by saying you came to the last in-person event, Women on the Rise. Uh huh. And I was so glad you came. And then everything shut down the next day. It was so my I'm- last day out. My last day in Spanx. My last day in hair and makeup. Heels. I mean, well, not. I mean, but heels. My last day in heels. Same. Yeah. I'm not missing the Spanx or the heels. I'm not going to lie. No, me either. In fact, I don't even know that my feet can fit in the heels anymore because it's been a Same. year of just Birkenstocks and bare feet. Yeah, for me, it's slippers and flip flops. That's all yeah. I've been wearing. Yeah. Every once in a while, I'll put on some some you know some kicks and like get some exercise. Ooh. But other than that, well, I guess you can also my Peloton shoes. Yeah. So the yeah. the Peloton shoes, but yeah, yeah. You know, I'm I'm so grateful for that event and so glad that I attended that day, mostly because, I mean, for many reasons, it was an amazing event, but also because like it very much not knowing what was about to happen to us. It was a very affirming, like rah-rah sisterhood, like we're going to go out and slay dragons kind of event. Hell yeah. And then we went into into quarantine and sort of that energy kind of carried me through the really shitty time that like, Mm -hmm. cause I'm in weddings, you know? So like there was a real, there was a week there where I was like, I might be losing my mind. Like this is not at all. Like I'm, I am good under stress and like I am prepared for a lot, but I, no one obviously was prepared for this. So that energy kind of carried us through. So I'm grateful to you for that. Well, I'm glad you could make it. It was, it was fun. And then I've also seen you around the rising tide circles and everything. That's right. When I got the email that says she'd like to be a guest, I was like, I'd love to have her as a guest. I'm glad it all worked out. Yeah, yeah I, I was I was with Rising Tide for four years, so I was one of the original um, LA leaders. Wow! Like uh, I and I, that was like back in 2016 when we started. So I'm really proud of the growth. Like we grew that. My first Rising Tide meeting was two people, me and two people at a coffee shop. Really? Yeah, and, and now it's hundreds. Exploded. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. great. Yeah really great. Um, if anybody doesn't know what Rising Tide Society is, we're going to put a link to them in the show notes because they are, I mean, it's men and women. It's not just mm-hmm. women. And, but, and it is creatives. They're photographers, mm-hmm. there's designers, there's florists, they're uh, uh, graphic designers. Like there's a lot of creatives in that, that community. And it was, I loved being, a, you know, going to the events and everything. It's really, really yeah. well done. It's a good community. I mean, they really do lean into the community spirit of everything. And, uh, and it's, yeah, it's like a lovely group of, of humans, really. That's great. I mean, it doesn't compare to the bra network. Let's just be honest. Oh, no. Obviously. Obvi. No. <laughs> Totes different. Right. Well, joining me today, let's just get started. Sure. <laughs> Is wedding planner, pod ho- podcast host, and founder of Moxie Bright Events. Love that name, by the way. Thank Renee you. Dallow. And, um, we have been, we have so many similar friends in common and I was talking to Paige and she loves you. And so like, it's just great to see how small LA really is, but she's also in LA just like me. Listen, the longer, the longer you kick around LA, the smaller it gets. So true. So true. And I'm excited. You are going to be talking to us today about the power of language Yes. And how it can transform. I love that word transform because I feel your business. I feel like when you use the word transform, you see there's a beginning and there's an end. Like it's a journey. It's a word that really means journey. And I love that word. Um, so welcome. I'm glad you're getting carried away with me. I hope you are also excited about getting carried away about things that drive you crazy. 
So that's at the I'm end of the show. <laughs> I love it. I love it. How are you? First, I want to know before we get started, 10 mm-hmm. year old Renee, when oh. somebody asked her, what do you want to be when you grow up? Did you say a wedding planner and podcast host? Oh, hell no. I said, I said Broadway musical theater actress. <gasps> You're kidding. I mean, that's what I was before I was this. Yeah, that was my first career. Wow. So I'm my from daughter, New York City originally. So I didn't I, know that. Yeah. I didn't know that. Well, my daughter's um, at a performing arts middle school. And for her 13th birthday, we had booked a trip to New York. We were going to see four musicals, yes. Mean Girls, Dear Evan yes. Hansen. Like I oh, think six so was one and I think Beetlejuice. Had the tickets ready to go. Then this damn pandemic came and the sure. day Broadway shut down, I, she just cried like a Me baby. too. <laughs> Me yes. too. Because I never thought we'd see the day really, you know. No. And it never closed before. I think in never. history, and- like a week, I think it did once. Mm-hmm. No, two days after, uh, during 9-11. Um, Well, then I have to start with a very different question then. Um, (laughs) Favorite role you've ever played Mm. and the musical. Favorite role I've ever played was Mary and Merrily We Roll Along um, at a tiny little theater in LA. Um, I was right at the cusp of like being too old to play that role. So like Mm -hmm. I had like a, I had like two years left where I could be like, that's feasible. I could still play a teenager. Um, No, but uh, back then I could. And and I ended up um, performing the role. I So I took the job as a swing, which is something that I've done professionally. Like it's when you, um, for those who don't know, Please. it's for like, so if you, as a female swing, like I would cover all the female roles in the chorus. So when anyone in the chorus would, would become an understudy and have to go on for the lead, someone has to fill in that, that track is what they're called. And so when you're uh, being a swing is a really specific skill set because you have to be able to sing uh, a pretty wide range of vocal yeah. tracks and you have to be able to memorize and, and then perform as if it's your own, like all these different seemingly minor parts but you know every single person has a different vocal uh track that they're assigned to different props different costumes and so you kind of have to be a little bit of a chameleon they needed a swing and i took the job because i and i the only reason i took the job is because i said i'll do it if you let me understudy mary because they didn't have an understudy for the lead role and a really unorthodox move by the way like super ballsy of me to be like i'll do it because i've done it professionally and i know that you need someone who can do it as a professional but also i want that thing and so they let me do two performances like two matinees I didn't, it doesn't matter to me. I got to do it. So it was fine with me. I love it. I love it. Now, my second question, favorite musical you've seen. It's hard to pick oh, one. Oh God, so um, next to normal. Oh, I don't think I've seen that it's one. It's like super dark though. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> like my favorite musical, like my heart says next to normal, but like my enthusiastic, like, um, uh, like musical theater person brain wants to say like Tommy because it's like very bright and shiny and dancey yeah. and also a rock score and so like I'm here for that all day but um no next to normal is like about a family and the mom has like mental illness and it's like all over the place but I love it love it love it so my daughter is currently doing a challenge it's a COVID uh, challenge that they they created on the TikTok I don't know if you're aware of this new platform called TikTok <laughs> um but all those musical theater actors who are now out of work, they all flocked to TikTok and they will put on shows, right? Yes. Whole shows. Um, but one of them is to listen to two musicals from 19, I think it starts in 1930 to present day, a day for 278 days. And you will listen to every single Everything. musical. Everything. I think you know she's up like day 72. That's such an education for her though. I mean, part of the thing of being a musical theater performer is that you have to know the, you have to know the whole over. You can't, there can't be a time when you're like, oh, I don't know that show. So I'm not going to audition. Like no one cares. Go audition. Yeah. And you have to understand the different parts of the genre. And uh, yeah, what an amazing, I mean, I wish that happened when I was a kid. Are you kidding? Right? I was, yeah. I was doing that to myself when I was a teenager getting things from the library yeah exactly you know playing cassette tapes <laughs> yeah seriously and albums what Ooh. albums for all those that are listening they are <laughs> circle round devices that you put on a record player <laughs> believe me my audience is uh we're gen xers uh, nice. same same <laughs> yep same same love it okay 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 I'm so glad we went on our musical theater. I could talk about musical theater. I could do a whole podcast just based on musical theater. Um, and um, ones that were disappointing, ones that I am obsessed with. I think my favorite, I'm not going to lie, is Book of Mormon. 
Ah, I do love Book of Mormon. Just giggle through that entire show. I didn't see it on Broadway, didn't see it in New York, but I saw it when it came out here. And I specifically did not listen to the cast album because I wanted the jokes to be fresh. Yeah. And I'm not even going to, this is like embarrassing. I almost peed in my pants. I laughed so hard. Me too. I'm pretty sure they had to change the seats of the Pantages after that run was over because everyone was peeing in their pants from laughing so hard. I just, I'll never forget. I saw it with my friend Stacy. We saw a reboot. It was in the Thousand Oaks Theater. And the couple in front of us, they could not be more uncomfortable. They were so stiff and they didn't. And finally, you just saw the husband look at her and they got up and left. And I was like, I can see better. Yes. But also, shouldn't art make us uncomfortable a little bit? 100%. So, 100%. Yeah. sorry for them that they didn't get the full experience. How do you think you, you translate, you, how do you think you like kind of embed musical theater in your work and your design and your... Like literally constantly. Is it? Here's the thing. Here's the thing. My experience as a musical theater performer, I unfortunately never made it to Broadway. I left New York. Now in hindsight, you know, when you have that, that beautiful clarity of your of your past you, you're like, mm, like two more years probably would have done it. But, yeah. but I moved here. Um, I was on the road a lot. I did a lot of road shows. And so basically what you do is you you're on a bus and there's a truck. Literally, it's called a bus and truck tour. You're on the bus. The set's on the truck. You pull into whatever theater. They put up the set. You do the show. They tear the set down and you leave. And that is exactly what we do for weddings. We pull in. We do a wedding. Like it's the same mindset or the same workflow. The mindset is a little bit different in that obviously it's someone's wedding day and it's not a show has a lot more heart than that, but the presentational aspects of it are pretty similar. And I'm such a stickler for how the day like flows and how it feels because I, I very much understand like pace and like my, my assistants always kind of like giggle at me because like, we'll be in the middle of a reception and dad is going on his like 15 minute toast. And I know we're losing the room. Like I right. can read the audience and be like, Oh, we're going to get them back. We got to get like, back. Got him. <laughs> got him. Right. Because I still have that, um, that like feedback loop that I get, that I used to get from the audience when I was a performer, it still exists. And I can read a room better than anyone who works for me, but they do giggle. Cause they're like, they watch me get like twitchy where I'm like, mm, he needs to stop now. Okay. I, I yeah. To, yeah. Uh, uh, but, yeah. Cheers. You're like, and, yeah. cheer, and start the music. Yeah. You're the music. <laughs> I will stand next to the band and be like on my cue. And they're like, what is wrong with her? I'm like, trust me, I'm more musical than any of you. Let's do it. Yes. And you know, the bride's like, dad, God. I mean, everyone oh, yeah. thinks they're a great public speaker, but. Yeah, no, but yeah. My background's in education and I can tell you, not everybody's a good teacher either. Uh, oh, they sure think they are. They are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They should. Okay. So, so 10 year old Renee was like, I'm Broadway. What made 100%. you make the switch into weddings? And well, I mean, and- yeah, right. it's all kind of, it all kind of, it's all kind of been an organic sort of like what's next, what's next situation. But I'll say like the moment I, I sort of knew that I was done with acting, just generally speaking. And of course, like when you're a musical theater actor, any kind of actor, you're always doing hospitality gigs on the side. I just got lucky in New York that I was doing them at really good restaurants. Like I was working at like really fine dining places so that when I came to LA and I was like, I'm going to be on a sitcom, I was able to get any job I wanted in hospitality because I had this amazing resume, which I just thought was like normal. Right. Ah, In my head, I wasn't like, oh, I have all this hospitality experience. I was just like, (laughs) here I am. I want to work at this restaurant. So I got a job here in LA working. I opened a restaurant um, that's at still at the Grove that has um, a restaurant in the bottom floor and banquet rooms on the top. So we had like six banquet rooms and I, I literally started that job. Like when they were still like putting the walls together and I worked there for years and I started as a hostess and I ended as the venue uh, manager basically. So I had done like every job there, including one day I made salads when someone didn't show up to do banquets. Like I did everything. Mm -hmm. Um, At the same time of my life, my friends were all getting married, right? It was that like, like late twenties period of time where like everyone, all my poor actor friends were like, we're going to get married. You can help me, right? Because you do this for work or like, I'm the friend who would always, yeah. Or like, I'm the friend who would have the Oscar parties. Like I was that person in all of my friend groups. So I ended up just doing it um, kind of as a hobby for a, for a really long time. I mean, like I wasn't taking money. Like it was, it was the worst run quote unquote business that you've ever seen in your life. Uh, one of my early brides who was a friend of a friend of a friend worked at Crate and Barrel. And so she gifted me a couch in exchange for my wedding planning oh. services. And I thought that was fine. I was like, yeah, looks, sounds good to me. Um, so that was sort of happening over here. And then over here with the acting career, I was, um, 
I was like pretty close to getting like a very big sitcom, like where my character's name would have been one of the people in the title. title. And then it went, it went to someone who's now very famous. And I was literally, sta- I was like sitting in the waiting room, waiting to go in for my final audition. And my best friend texted me to say like, I'm so sorry about the show. And I was like, what do you mean? And she's like, it was announced in the trades today that this other actress got the role. And I was sitting in the waiting room. And I was oh. like, do I, do I have to go in and do this now? And I sure did have to go in. And I literally, I did. I had to go in. Like, I, what do you do? I was calling my agent. Like, do I have to, you know, still want in. Yeah. And I left that day and I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, I don't want someone else to have that much agency over my life. You know? Oh, and, yeah. and I, it's not that I don't love acting. I mean, I, 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 I love it, but I just didn't want that life anymore. You know, I wanted to be more in control of all of my stuff. So long story short, I opened my own business. It's like a very, <laughs> I'm just like bullet pointing over the other stuff. But like, eventually after I got married, I opened my own business because my wedding planner in Philadelphia said, this is, it's insane to me that you don't have a business. And I was like, a business? What? Like, this is a hobby. And she's like, you can make a real living doing this. And then sometimes, you know, you just need that one person to just kind of open a door for you a little bit to say yeah. like, this is real. You should consider it. And then I couldn't stop considering it, you know? And then it probably just, well, once one bride tells one bride and she's going to tell another bride and another bride. And then it just, well, you know, the, I think the best thing is, is you were able to make a hobby into a business. Yes. A lot of people, a lot of entrepreneurs first starting out are just like, I'll just, I'll do it for trade. I'm new. I shouldn't charge. I don't know. I'll take your pictures. I'll design your website. Nah, girl, you need to start charging. Yes. <laughs> And I'm yes. sure you've seen that in your experience, people coming up in the wedding industry, whether they're a musician, a caterer, or whatever. You you work with so many vendors uh, as a wedding planner. I can't even imagine, you know, yeah. how it's a big juggling the, act. Chess, the chessboard of, you know, like, oh, it is. gives me you know, agita that- thinking about it. Like, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I will say it does take a certain personality though. I, I mean, and not to say that it's like something that you can't learn. Of course you can learn it, but like, it's a, it's an interesting thing that this has been my journey because you would think as someone who was an actor that I'd prefer to be more in the center of attention, but as a wedding planner, you absolutely are not the center of attention, but you are the center of the knowledge, which is the part that I think I'm really attracted to where I'm like, well, I'm the one who knows everything. So you may as well come yeah. talk to me. Right. Right. Um, but the idea of like the hobbyist, right. The, from hobbyist to professional was an interesting journey for me as well, because it didn't take me that long to really understand that like, oh, I have to I have to take this way more seriously than I was and I need to get my ass together. Can I cuss? Yeah. I just cuss. Of Is course okay? you can. Okay. Girl, yes. Checking. Don't you um, say another bad word. <laughs> fuck. All right. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> so, but sometimes people take a, a lot longer to get to that place. And I think especially as women, we are like societally conditioned to expect less or to ask yes. for less or to think like, this is good enough. Like what I'm doing now is good enough. Um, and I just think that's a bunch of bullshit. And like the work of that work is, was way more important to me and more fulfilling and move the needle more for me than any other work that I could have done. Just understanding what my own worth was and insisting upon it. Yeah. You know, there are, uh, there's a lot of, you know, when women are in the same industry, you know, and a part of the core value of bra is that we believe in collaboration over competition, there's a lot of lip service behind that. So we model that by saying, yeah. putting all you wedding planners in a room saying, yes. you know, like, well, what are you charging? Or what are you charging? Do you find yourself when you see a wedding coordinator or planner or designer? And you're like, why are you only, tra- you're not, how are you even paying yourself? Do you find yourself wanting to stage an intervention with these? I mean, I've, I've been that asshole who sent that email be like, I know you're new and I know you don't know who I am. Here's who I am. And here's yes. let's, and let's have a phone call because yeah. like, I, Again, it's that 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 moment of like maybe someone just needs to open a door and say there is more opportunity here for you. You're limiting yourself, right? And I think that's one of the reasons I became an educator in my industry. In fact, I know it is, right? Because really what I'm here for, like if you really distill down like who I am as a human and what I want to encourage other people to do is like what I really want is for women in my industry to make an unapologetic amount of money, right? and and fucking own it right Mm -hmm. and then also not lose themselves in the process like those two things hand in hand right but like 
that's why I started the podcast. That's why I felt so compelled to get up on stages and yell about the things I care about because, because other women in my life have spoken to me that way privately and it's helped me. And if, if I have the skills that came with me from acting to get up on stage and not be afraid, then yeah, I'm going to use that because maybe someone just needs someone else to say to them, Hey, you can do it differently and it can be better for you. It's a hundred percent true. I, I love that you took this creative, you know, career of wedding planning and you're like, you know what? I can do more. And I guess it, I, I don't know necessarily if you call yourself a coach so much as an educator. I mean, all the, all the things. Yeah. Right? The, yeah. the terminology is wonky, but I'm actually, it's funny because like one of my pandemic, like little pivots was that I started taking a life coaching course because, uh, because we weren't doing weddings in the last year, we started a mastermind course and a group coaching program. So now I have wedding planners that, like on a very personal level or with me multiple times a week. And I thought, you know, I need more, I need to, but like to shore up my skill set around these, these things. So I don't know that I'd call myself a coach, but I'm definitely educating myself more in that vein in a way that I wouldn't have to a year ago, two sure. years ago. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So tell me more about the podcast. What, what's the name? How can we find it? And who do you feature on it? <laughs> so, uh, so I, um, I used to do a co-hosted podcast for the wedding industry called rock your wedding biz with my friend Mindy. And she was like a social media person. And I was the wedding person. And we did that for about a year. And then Mindy decided to leave the wedding industry. And so we can't, we stopped doing the podcast and I thought I would be fine. I was like, oh, that was a lot of work. It'll be fine to not do it. Nope. About a month later, I was like, well, I really miss having a podcast and I think I should do one on my own. And like, I was like talking myself into it. Right. So when my husband said, what are you going to call it? I was like, I don't know. I just want to talk. And he's like, well, then just call it talk. So it's called talk with Renee Dallow because the, I just like to talk. And so that's it. Um, it's a weekly show on Thursdays. And we, um, we o almost always interview someone um, in a creative space. I really try hard to go outside of the wedding industry because the wedding industry can be really insular and like an echo chamber sure. of the same 20 people. And I think a lot of wedding industry folks don't necessarily journey outside the bubble to find education, which is a, which is a big problem. I think we need to expand. Yeah. There's like a real comfort and like, we're going to hear from these same 20 people. And I'm like, no, no, uh -uh. <laughs> no, no. Love it. Talk with Renee Dallow. I mean, it's, there you go. <laughs> there it is. Strangely so enough, there's not that many podcasts called talk. Yeah. And it's also not necessarily just for people in the wedding industry. Anybody no. can get, yeah, that, that's so yeah. great. Um, I love that. And I love the idea of you educating other wedding planners. So then you can keep the industry elevated and that they are charging what they worth. They're not under exactly. undercutting each other. And it's like, I'll do your wedding for 1500. Like, no girl, be quiet. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say that. Okay. Okay. So let's get back to our topic. Sorry. We went on a tangent there, but I'm loving all of this. <laughs> you talk about the power of language. Tell me about mm. that. Oh my. So a few years ago, as I was like in sort of, I want to say beginning my entrepreneurial journey, but that's only like hindsight, right? Like hindsight, I can go, oh, she was just a baby wedding planner back then. But um, I am a big stickler for language. Like I love writing. I love reading. I obviously love talking. And I was doing some self-work on my own thoughts and like how I was talking to myself and, mm. you know, just there's so much we can get into about the self-work on that. But what I started realizing was that a lot of the language that I was just reflexively using was really like small. Mm. It was keeping me small, right? And so I was a really big fan of apologizing for things that were not, there were no apology was really needed. So like in an email with a client, you know, they would write to me and say, hey, did you check out this blah, blah, blah thing that I asked you? And my initial reaction would be like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Let me get on that right now, uh -huh. whatever. It was always, I'm so sorry. I, Renee, uh -huh. am sorry for whatever the thing, whatever minor, minor, piddly, little thing. Little thing, <laughs> yeah. Complete. And I was immediately going to sorry, 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 sorry. Or I would write to vendors and say, I'm just checking in with you to see about the timeline. Just, just was yeah. a big thing for me. Just, I don't want to be a bother. I'm just, you know, it's because it feels kind and it feels... When you get non to it, it mm -hmm. doesn't seem urgent. It doesn't seem right. like you it feels non-intrusive, mm -hmm. right? It's like, well, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm just asking whenever you have a sack or like my, my least favorite, but commonly used back then was, well, I'm no expert, but ah, uh, like that quantifier of like, well, mm -hmm. I'm not a mathematician, but I think that's over budget. Like what the hell? Right. Yeah. So 
I was doing a lot of like auditing of my own language and realizing like how much work I had to do. And then I was at the same time sort of exploring emails I would receive from, from let's be honest, male vendors Mm -hmm. where their language was way more direct. And, you know, my husband is an art department guy. He's a production designer and I'd hear him on the phone talking to his team. I heard him on the phone negotiating his payment once. And it was like, I thought I was like, what, what is this fiction? What is happening here? Cause he was like, this is the price. This is my day rate. And he just sort of stopped talking and waited. And I thought the call was over. I looked over at him and he was just waiting for them to respond. Yeah. Yeah. He's not gonna and I was like out of his salary. <laughs> and I thought if that were me, I would not be able to stop the verbal diarrhea <laughs> because they're, because their minuscule pause in response would have set me on some kind of spiral into like, well, I need to then like, figure it out. Right. So I was doing all this work. And then at the same time, I was reading a book that I think I have around here somewhere called playing big by Tara Moore. Do you know okay. this book? Obsessed with this book. It's We're putting it in the show notes. Playing big. Is it here? It's here. Playing big. There it is. Okay. She has a whole We're chapter on lim- Yeah. It's amazing. Unlimiting language. And I started, I read the whole book. The book is amazing, but the limiting language chapter really spoke to me in the way that I was like, Oh, this is something that I can really like take action on right now. Like, because I was then started to get really aware of, because I was using all of this hedging language and this limiting phrasing, I was then thinking, Oh, I'm perceived in a certain way now. Right. I'm perceived as being kind of like, um, not a pushover, but like a little too amenable, right? Yeah. Where, whereas like, especially as a wedding planner, I just need people to respond to me. Like a wedding planner is a professional middleman in a way. Mm-hmm. So if, if I'm waiting for a response and my, my hope to get that response comes in a, well, when you have a sec, if you could kind of open this and then let me know what you think. And I'm open to your thoughts and like, of yeah. course, you know, wh- whatever you need and just like, get back to me whenever you can. Whereas <laughs> When I started to do the work and I sent an email that said, hey, blah, 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 this is the timeline. I'll need your response and your notes by this date. Take care. No one thought I was a bitch. No No. one thought anything. They just understood that this is a clear way of of communicating. I stopped feeling like I was apologizing for my whole life and career and everything became much easier. And because I saw the, the thing that I was doing before and then the thing that I was doing after, I literally saw response times were better. People's communication with me was more efficient. I felt better about all the work I was doing, right? And people stopped second guessing me or they stopped asking BS questions, right? Like these are facts. I'm stating it in a factual way. Take out the emotion from it. Things get easier. And honestly, like that's the way men have existed in business world for years. And they're doing just fine. They're doing just fine. 100%. I completely agree. The other thing I hear a lot, um, and we, we've talked about this at and a couple of bra meetings, is that anybody that's in the health and wellness space or spirituality space has to always put this caveat before they speak and say, this might be a little too woo. And, <laughs> and then they say, but I'm an astrologer and I'm in human design or something. So I, we made a point in bra to be like, no one's allowed to say that anymore. You're just going to say, you know what? I read tea leaves and I like tarot. Boom, here I am. That's me. Right. Because I never say, you know, you're not going to see a photographer. This might be a little too creative, but I'm a photographer. <laughs> it's, we don't do right. it. Right. We don't do it. And men who are in the spiritual space, and there's tons, tons, yeah. they never start with, this may be a little too wooey. Never, 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 never. Yeah. never. No, hundred percent. I also, uh, how many times have you ever said, uh, this was common for me in emails. I would explain something to my clients pretty much at length. It would be pretty lengthy. And at the end I'd say, does this make sense? Yeah. Let's unpack that for a sec. If you explain something thoroughly and then ask, does it make sense? You're either intimating that you did not do enough, do a good enough job explaining the thing that you just spent paragraphs explaining, or that your clients are too dumb to understand the thing you just explained. Yeah. Neither one of those scenarios is, is appropriate. No. If all you have to do is say, I look forward to your thoughts on this. Let me know if you have any questions. (laughs) Yes. And now, now I just go thoughts, question mark. 
Mm-hmm. Like I've explained it. What are your thoughts? And I bet you've probably reread it and rewrote it multiple times before you hit send, right? Of course. Like, yeah. We fire things off and just, I know for me, sometimes my best editing is after I hit the damn send button. <laughs> but Yes. <laughs> yes. But it's true. But it, it's these little things, these things that we don't even know that we're doing. They undermine our authority. They undermine our sense of professionalism. And so, you know, there are so many things in client interactions that we cannot control, but for the stuff that we can, like our own language, we can clean it up. It's not that tough. When I was doing this work back in the day, I went into my Gmail. I have Gmail for business and you can search Gmail. And I just wrote the word, sorry. And I did a quick search because I just wanted to see, like, was I actually apologizing for things that were real? Or was I apologizing for perceived injustices that were like so slight that no one else would ever, ever apologize? And it was like 300 emails in my inbox where I was like, wow. And when I read them, I, I mean, email after email, I'm so sorry. I didn't get back to you on a Sunday. What? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I was apologizing for some, for some bullshit. And now if it's, if it's something that warrants an apology, of course, But if it's one of those emails, it's like, hey, Renee, I sent this over to you last week. Um, Did you have a sec to look at it? I'll say, thank you so much for your patience. Yes. It's and it's a huge shift in me hearing that from you as opposed to I'm so sorry. Well, that makes me think, oh, I'm in charge. I'm not planning my wedding. You are. (laughs) That is correct. Um, It's it's so, so true. And, you know, um, my daughter went to a summer camp when she was in sixth grade and it's called Girls Rock. And they have an entire curriculum that's around saying, I'm sorry. So like you bump into a table. Oh, sorry. You're t- it's a table. So anytime the girls at the camp said, sorry, they all had to scream, no, you rock. Because they constantly, you don't even realize you're saying it. So one girl is getting her microphone set up and she's getting ready to talk. She can't get the mic on the stand. And she's like, Sorry. And everyone screams, no, you rock. And I was like, I never even put it together that even at 11 years old, we are doing this. We are apologizing for things. We haven't done anything wrong. <sighs> that makes me so, I mean, the, the, the exercise the camp did makes me thoroughly happy, but the, the idea that it's still happening to our girls makes me enraged yeah. because all I can think of when I hear that from you is that like, so I went to a Catholic school growing up. Right. Mm-hmm. So the motivation was to be good and to be polite and to be quiet. Yes. Be pleasant. And I'm 44 and like, I don't give a fuck about being pleasant anymore. Yeah. Right. That my pleasantness is not some, you know, tax I pay to the world for my existence. Fuck off. So, but it breaks my heart that that's, but that's, but that's society, right? We're conditioned. Yeah. We are conditioned in that way, in a way that I, I see it a little bit more now in like my friends who have kids where like the, the boys are actually very polite. But when I was growing up, that wasn't a benchmark for them. No, no, no one cared no. if the boys were polite. No, no, not at all. Where we were told, be nice, oh, be mm-hmm. nice, be nice to your grandparents, be nice. Mm-hmm. Like nobody said to my, my brother, oh, be nice, be nice to your grandfather. Nope. I was constantly told, be nice, you know, um, use your manners. <laughs> mm-hmm. For me, it was be quiet. Renee, don't talk too much. Be quiet. Oh, just, sit, just no one, you don't need to, you don't need to be a part of this. Just yeah. zip it. <laughs> now I have a podcast. You can't stop me. <laughs> I just may break out in song at any moment. And I don't give a shit. It's my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think this is really, really valuable. And there's a lot of power, I think, that when you're using the right language, the right wording, it actually also creates boundaries, right? So you're not emailing someone at 11 p.m. at night saying sorry or something. Instead, if you decide, don't email them. They can wait. They will know the flowers will be there on time. We will have roses. Don't worry, girl. Don't worry. And you're probably working with the most hyper, like, (laughs) I can't imagine working with brides. I I really give anyone credit. Honestly, most of my couples are really lovely because they've hired someone. I take a lot of the, the, you know, the stress. Um, So I don't have a ton of like, I don't really, the bridezilla thing, like I totally, it it exists, but like, thankfully that isn't been my experience most of the time. But um, what I find interesting is that, 
wedding planners, especially like we're in this conundrum because our job is service-based and also it's like our industry promises this perfect day. So the standards of what we're supposed to live up to um, have bled into every single part of our lives. And so like, I have, you know, wedding planners that I coach who were like, well, I, my email response time has to be less than 12 hours. And I was like, or sometimes you're asleep. I mean, I don't know what you think, like 24 is appropriate, right? So I think like, as we go on year after year, although I think the pandemic maybe cured us a little bit of this, the expectations were getting so ramped up that like, even when I have conversations about this limited language, so like, I have no time to think about that. Now, if you use Google Chrome as your, excuse me, as your browser, there is a plugin you can get called Just Not Sorry. Really? (laughs) Yeah. And it underlines in your text when you've used a limiting phrase or language, it doesn't change it for you, but it points out like where you could do better. So, and like, and it will actually underline, sorry, even if you're literally sorry for something, like if it's appropriate. (laughs) So you have to like use your own, you know, judgment, but it's an interesting exercise just in um, acknowledging how it is you're coming, how it is you're using your language. And, and it does, it, it, Yes, language is reflexive. Obviously, we use words all day long, but it doesn't have to be. And you can train yourself out of it. Yeah. 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 I think it's really important. I've always been curious if it's true in other languages. Like, are people in France, are they using the word sorry? Or or if people are using sign language, are they also signing? I'm sorry, I'm late. Or as opposed to, I, I didn't, I apologize for making you wait. Right. You know, and changing. So I've always been curious if this is very American. I um, wonder. I have no data on this, but I'm just very, if you're That's in France and you're listening great question. to this, I want to know. <laughs> What's funny yeah. is I presented this topic as a full presentation um, at a conference in Cartagena, Colombia, but it was all Canadians and um, in attendance, which was really funny to do this in front of Canadians because they're <laughs> yes. obsessed with the word sorry. Like they can't stop oh, saying it. Sorry. And they were like, yeah. it's cultural. And I was like, okay, but you can use, if you want to do that in your, per, in your, like personal life, that's fine, but your professional life. And we had a big debate over the word, sorry, with the Canadians, but we were in Colombia and I don't, I, it's, it, now it kills me that I didn't think to ask the Colombians because they were our host to be like, is this true for you guys too? I should have yeah. asked. Next time you do that conference. Next time. Next Canadians time. in Colombia. I mean, what kind of a party was that? <laughs> it, it was a, it was a boozy party. I bet. It was just I would, booze all here. the time. I could, they kept giving me drinks and I was like, can I get a water though? Yes. Any water? anyone. (laughs) Um, Wow. So when you're working with wedding planners, you know, tell me about your coaching program. Is it like a group program? Do you do one-on-one? How do you typically structure your, your mastermind there? So the mastermind really grew out of the pandemic in that as soon as the pandemic hit right after the event that you hosted, um, we didn't know what was happening. Like no one knew. And, and I had 14 weddings that got postponed and I'm part of a bunch of Facebook groups and other, you know, I'm a known, uh, you know, like speaker on the circuit for the wedding industry. So when it all went down, my impulse was to be like, well, let's just have some meetings. So I would host these 9am like open forum meetings where anyone could just pop on the zoom and ask me for help. And I did them for 75 days. I know when I think about it now, I'm like, what was happening? But it was just felt so, it just felt like necessary, you know, like I kept saying to myself, the day that no one shows up, I'll stop doing them. And then eventually I was like, okay, tomorrow's the last day. Cause I need my life back. But what it, what occurred to me from that experience was that people needed help yeah, and they needed someone to like be by their side through this. So we started a mastermind program. We do small groups of like no more than six mm-hmm. and we do them in weeks of like 12 week co- cohorts. Cause I feel like 12 weeks is a good enough time to be like, this is my goal that I hope to achieve. Here's the midpoint. Yes, I've achieved it. Like we can really get some stuff done. Um, and then I also have a group coaching program because the group coach is for like brand new wedding planners. Cause so many wedding planners started their business in 2020. And then this happened. Can you imagine being no, in your first year of business? <laughs> yes. So there Ooh. are just foundational things that these gals did not get to learn because they didn't have any active weddings. And so for the group coach, we talk about like literally foundational things about wedding planning and business. And for mastermind, it's more like, these women have projects they're working on, like in the mastermind over the last year, like two of the girls launched shops, like everyone kind of did a pivot, right? Either they're right. pivoting to small weddings or um, selling templates or mugs or, you know, whatever we, uh, one of them started a podcast and a lifestyle blog, like everyone's doing things. So it's more project based um, and just nice to come together with people that don't live in your market, but who also know your job. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. When you're working 
with your group in your group program and your masterminds, if any wedding people are thinking they want to start their own wedding business mm. or their own planning business, what are kind of the common pain points they're feeling <laughs> to make you make them say, I need Renee? Um, pricing constant, always, what do we price? Who do we, what do we charge? What what's included in what we charge sales is a big one. No wedding planner goes into this industry thinking like, I'm great at sales. Let me be a wedding planner. Like it is a completely learned skill. Um, and it's huge. Like learning how to sell yourself. It's so tough for wedding planners, you know, because there's nothing we can visibly show before a sale to say at the end, you get this. Right. Right. It's, it's a leap of faith. We're like, you like me enough to trust me that I'm going to get you results that you will be happy with, but you don't even know what that is right now. It's really hard to sell. Um, So there's that workflow and like behind the scenes stuff is a constant thing we talk about, like how to organize yourself, how to stay motivated, especially during the pandemic. Um, And then like this year, a lot of ethics came in, right? So so like, who are we working with? Who are we champion, champion, you know what I mean? Champion. There you go. Who are we (laughs) aligning ourselves with? Let's say it that way. And then like, how diverse is our portfolio and, and, and how do we make it such that we can do it in an authentic way, even if you're not in a diverse market like Los Angeles. Like if you're in the middle of Ohio and you're like, I'd love to do a same-sex wedding, but there are no same-sex couples. How do you find them? Right? Like how do we intentionally diversify and intentionally um, increase our own awareness? Yeah, The wedding industry pre June of 2020 was a very white, white washed place. Yeah, for sure. I think a lot of industries were, Um, a lot of us gave pause during, um, you know, I think since Brianna Taylor, we were all like, wait, what's happening? Let me look yeah. at this. What am I doing? Wedding, we had a real reckoning in the wedding industry. We had some deep, deep webinars, talks led by black leaders in our, in our industry that were like, what, wake up, wake up everyone. Wow. This has been our experience for years. Wow. And you, we obviously couldn't be, obviously couldn't be ignored anymore. Should never have been ignored in the first place. Right. right? But now it's all of our work to make the industry better. That's great. That's really, and that's probably, I'm sure, infused in the coaching you, when you're working 100%. with these, these new people in your industry, it's like, you have to be aware of the DEI of things, you know, yes. how are you, and, how, and like are you show it? up, right. And then also show up authentically as yourself. Like one of the things that I'm a huge in is that I talk about politics in my business constantly. And if you don't like it, mm-hmm. there's like 8,000 other wedding planners in LA you can deal with, right? Like you don't have to hire right. me, but I also don't necessarily want every single wedding that comes in the door anyway. So like, I'm also discerning on this end as well, as I want people to be discerning with me. So I specifically talk about my ethics and where we donate our money and who we, who we support, because I want people to know what's, you know, and then it funnels out, funnels out like, yeah, I don't want to do a wedding for you. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. I don't really align in your values. I think it's totally, I think, especially for creatives like you, I think it's extremely important to talk about what you believe in, what your core values are, and that you're not going to compromise them for money. Like, because you know what, knocking down the door just in a day is going to be someone who is aligned with you and is looking for someone. I'm, you know, I want my fabulous wife and I to have this beautiful wedding and I want it in, you know, Joshua tree and I want crows and I want doves and I want all this, but I also want a wedding coordinator. Who's going to be like, let's do it. I work with a couple like you. hundred percent. And whether they know that from Instagram or your website or a blog or a podcast, it's, it's so true to keep having the conversation. It shouldn't be, it's not a conversation to end or it should constantly be extending and growing. And, and, um, I think that's so, so great, Renee, that's just so important, especially now more than ever. Um, and I think if anyone isn't like aware of it, where have you been? (laughs) I think people are aware. I think there's just a lot of fear. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. And I'm so curious, you know, when I know for a couple of wedding coordinators in bra, when they would see like Texas opening and Florida opening and they'd be like <laughs> angry about it, like how uh-huh. are you doing? Like what's going on? I can't even oh, yeah. end people in my backyard without taking no, yeah. two COVID There's been like No, anger has been a real thing. There's been like bees buzzing under my skin for like a year. Here's the thing. I am of the mindset where I did not want to have any events unless I knew it was safe. And so I, I am fine with us. Not, I mean, I I'm not fine in the sense that I, I want everyone's business to be healthy and prosper, but not at the sake of public health and safety. So I think 
in California specifically, our state has been very slow to give us any guidelines for the wedding industry. It's been a real struggle. Yeah. Um, in fact, a whole nonprofit was developed in this past year to deal with the government uh, in this in this state to get us some in regulation. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. called CAPE. It's the um, it's the I can't remember their the acronym. It's for private events coalition association. Oh no, California Association for Private Events. Sorry, I'm going to cape. I love you. Um, no, they, and they're they're doing they're doing the work of like going up to you know going to Sac- Sacramento and getting in front of Newsom's people and saying like we need guidelines. I want us to open. I just want us to be safe. Yeah. So I, when I saw I, Texas reopening, I was like, that's madness to me. That I thought they were on another planet. I was like, are what what is happening? I was supposed to go to Dallas to speak at an event, uh, like a networking event, and uh, it was in it was last April. And they did mm-hmm. not cancel it until like a week prior because they kept saying like, it might turn around. And I was like, I don't think so though. Mm, yeah. I was supposed there to go to a- an event in Phoenix in late March of 2020. And mm-hmm. I was just like, so when do I get my refund? Because this ain't going to yeah. happen. Nope. It's going to happen. It's going to happen two days before. You're right. It's not going to happen. <laughs> Let me give you this. Yeah. And there was a real moment where I thought I'd going to have to go present at a conference in Houston. And I was like, I was emailing like, well, I, I'm wearing a mask, right? Like other, as everyone mask, well, we can't enforce it. I'm like, I don't have to mingle, do I? Well, that's part of your contract. I'm like, I don't want to do Ouch. this. Yeah, no. I didn't have to, but I did. Luckily. Yeah. Luckily, co- the COVID took care of that for you. Didn't have to worry about it. It did, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, any, la- any like advice you can give to a up and coming wedding planner? What advice would you give them? Go work at a catering company. Okay. You'll learn everything you need, not everything. You'll learn 80% of what you need to know as a wedding planner from a catering company. And the stuff that you don't know, you'll learn on the job. But like, I can always tell when a wedding planner hasn't worked in catering because they don't know anything about timing or food or flow of things. Right. And catering, caterers can tell too, you guys decide they can always tell. Um, it's a fundamental skill that I think we don't talk about enough as wedding planners. We think that we have to be like designers and understand pretty things and etiquette. And like, yeah, you need to have that too, but like fundamentally you need to understand how a kitchen works. I love it. Thank you so much. That's so great. Now, before we, well, before we say, say goodbye, we got to get carried away. Oh yeah. Uh, Okay. So first, other than creating this amazing pivot and masterclass that you created, how are you keeping yourself busy, entertained? Are you, binging anything, podcasts, uh, books. What, what are you keeping yourself entertained during this time? So I think I've watched Schitt's Creek like 200 times. I'm not even joking. I can so recite funny. them by now. I'm obsessed with them. hundred percent. Um, in fact, people, are you a little bit Alexis? I'm very Dave. I'm very pro David Rose. Uh, I am a oh, little bit Alexis. Someone, one of my students <laughs> sent me a Rose apothecary lip gloss. I mean, like I, ha- people send me things, right. It's very nice. Um, love so it. Schitt's Creek has been my pandemic savior. Uh, yes, I, I was baking bread like every other middle-aged white woman. Um, uh, I also, in the last year, so when we started the pandemic, I had one course, one podcast and a wedding planning business. Now I have four courses, a mastermind, a group coach, a podcast. I produced two bundles and the list goes on and on. So I really just dove into the education part and just thought like, how can I serve this community? And and all the ideas that I've had on paper for years, suddenly I had this time. And so I just kind of went for it. Um, But you know, thankfully I have the Peloton that's keeping me sane and my, and my puppies and my husband who's keeping me sane and then insane. Like it was, it waffles back and forth. That's an um, ebb and flow. That's I love nice. him. It's just that we really need to miss each other now. Like, yes. Yes. <laughs> like I love him, but also like we could, we could do with like a day apart. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I just, education got me through reading Amazing. all the books, doing all the things. I, I'm an Enneagram three, so I like need to be busy. So if there isn't work, I will make work. Gotcha. See, I'm a seven. So I'm just like, I'll get to that. <laughs> yeah, yes. I see that to-do list, but what's this pretty shiny thing? <laughs> Love it. Um, now let's say COVID ends tomorrow. Everyone gets the mm-hmm. vaccine. It's a green light. You're able to go anywhere in the world mm-hmm. and have a meal with your husband and the puppies. Where are you going? There is a restaurant in Positano, Italy that you can only get to by taking a rowboat. It's called Da Adolfo. You have to make reservations. It's literally like a shack built into the side of a cliff on a beach. I had the best meal of my life there back in like, I don't know, 2005. And so I dream of it all the time. Like I dream 
that is my dream meal because it just has to happen because like your toes are in the sand and it's beautiful pasta and there's like sun and the you know it's like perfect also it's like a secret which is a very big thing in my family like the scotties that's my maiden name we will like travel for food so like love it i will too i actually planning a whole bunch of trips you know once things open up i've got the airbnbs i got i already got my list of restaurants where are we eating (laughs) yes you have to plan it out you can't leave it a chance it's ridiculous going to new orleans in 2022 and i've already got my restaurants where am i eating oh the breakfast isn't we're gonna go here okay great yes <laughs> love it love it's it essential it is it is now my last question is always the reverse so mm-hmm. what's something that people are obsessed about they get completely carried away about that you can't stand for example i can't stand or really comprehend gray's anatomy don't know oh. why anybody would watch that show but that's interesting just I also don't understand why people drink matcha tea because it tastes like dirt. I've never tried it because I am opposed to its color. <laughs> it's also I don't like want to drink it. It looks no. like, no, I don't like it. No. Um, there are so many things I could say for this because I feel like I'm like David Rose, extremely opinionated and things are either correct or incorrect, but I don't understand um, like the entire, like Lord of the Rings Hobbit, like my friends made me go to see the Hobbit. And the whole time I was looking at like back at the movie theater, like, are you, they were like raptured. And I was like, <laughs> what the hell are we doing here? This is the longest movie about nothing I've ever seen. So like that whole, like Lord of the Rings Hobbit. Oh, Game of Thrones. Never watched it. Don't care. Have yeah. no, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I don't have any desire to watch any of that. Don't care people have actually said game of thrones multiple times on this show so you are not alone with that oh, good there's yeah. a whole club of us who could not care less could, could, i don't care i'm not yeah. watching it yeah i don't blame you that's amazing well thank you so much renee we're gonna say goodbye to facebook bye facebook bye facebook i hope you learned something new now if you are a female founder thought leader disruptor and you're like i can be on that show then you need to email me with some topics Email me directly, carrie at bra-network.com or send me a DM on the IG at bra underscore network. I'm always looking for fabulous, fierce females to feature. And hey, if you're a guy, I'll feature you too, because we all have knowledge to share. Until then, thank you for getting carried away. Go ahead and like and subscribe to all the things and all the places. Until next time, have a great day. Stay safe. Wear a mask.